It's, uh, it's December 1st. So, so what that means is that we can officially talk about Christmas without like half the room being like mad about it. Like, yeah, it's not even Thanksgiving yet and we're talking about Christmas. It's over. It's Christmas season. Everybody just get on the plan. We're getting after it. Um, but today is uh, December 1st and it actually is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, and so uh, we as a church, we're doing something a little different this year. Uh, we've done... Sometimes we've done, like, kind of celebrated Advent every Sunday and uh, gone that route. And maybe you grew up in a church that did that. We um, lit candles or had some kind of element in the service. And, and so we're going to kind of go after that. We, have these, we played a video during worship around hope, which is the theme for this Sunday. And we're going to keep going after that. But then uh, a challenge uh, that our team kind of came up with for our church was um, December 22nd, we're going to have like a Christmas service, right? And uh, we kind of had this idea of, of Christmas every day because really we don't want Christmas to be confined to this certain season of the year. We want to celebrate our Savior, the fact that he came and lived a life and died in our place so that we could know eternal life. We want that to kind of be on our hearts all the time. And so how can we take the whole month of December and just kind of treat it like Christmas? Because you kind of know how people act around Christmas. Everybody's kind of like a little more cheerful and willing to help you out and, and uh, kind of put forth their best effort and things like that. And so we kind of developed this Advent calendar, which you got on the way in. And just every day, there's kind of just a challenge to see Jesus through the ordinary, because December 24th and 25th are kind of uh, extraordinary days in our culture. They're not uh, just normal every day. It doesn't happen all the time. But kind of the rest of the month of December is just kind of this like, we're just waiting to get there. And then after that, it's kind of like recovering from what just happened and then hoping that things turn around in the new year. And so we want to just go after every day in December. So if you don't have one of these, you can pick them up on your way out and they are in line. We're gonna post them every uh, day at, at midnight the morning before and it'll be posted for the day at harvestrochester.org slash advent and uh, you can just follow along in that way and I think it'll just be a really cool thing for uh, you to see Jesus through the ordinary. And uh, so with that, we kind of we recognize that um, Christmas season is upon us and, and we're all preparing, we're all doing the things necessary to get after it. And so just a little truth in church, how many of us had some form of Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving this year? Okay, pretty good, good amount. How, and, and okay, next question is, how many of you are, are looking at them just like mad and kind of like, how dare you? That is, yep, there you are. I see you people. Hey, thanks for being honest. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, I, I used to be one of those people. I used to be this very strict, like you can't listen to Christmas music, you can't talk about Christmas until uh, like the evening of Thanksgiving. Like turkey dinner happens, okay, now we can put up the tree. And I would be the guy who'd like walk around the stores and be mad that it's Halloween in one aisle and then Christmas in the next aisle. And you're just like, come on, like let's figure it out. And then this year something changed and uh, I'm blaming the snow. Because it snowed like super early in November. Remember that? It kind of snowed. And I was like, oh gosh, winter is here. I need some type of Christmas cheer. That was my Christmas poem. And uh, so I, we set up our tree like second week in November and I got the boys all excited. And Jen's like, what are you doing? Like it's so far away. And I'm like, I don't care. Let's, let's make it happen. And so here, here's the next poll. How many of you are, are team real Christmas tree? Real Christmas tree. It's got to be real. Like the Fraser fir. It's got to be, okay. And how many of you are like, ain't nobody got time for that? That, pull it out of the attic or the basement, set up the artificial tree. That's my people. There you are. Okay. 
I did, uh, I did the like, hey, go cut your own tree for like two years and uh, just horrible experience the, both times, like just terrible, no Christmas magic whatsoever. Um, it kind of turned into like everybody sits in the car and waits for dad to go cut a tree. And, um, and then I'm like, how much is this costing me? What's happening? And so I went to uh, this uh, wonderful little uh, shop, small business Saturday store called Target and I bought... Um, about this beautiful pre-lit artificial tree sets up in like a couple minutes and Christmas cheer for all in our house, all right? So uh, that's just, a, it's, it's kind of a thing that we go after it, but I, I wanna get back to the like tree farm. This is a, a, a little uh, uh, Fraser fir, real tree, it's real. Um, so if you're allergic to Christmas trees, I'm sorry, just don't come up here, but it's beautiful, it smells great. And, but I think tree farms are just fascinating to me because one, like, Usually, like if I live in a neighborhood, so if I had a tree that I needed cut down, I'd have to pay someone to come and cut it down for me. You're paying them to cut their trees down for them and take it away. That's just amazing. It's an amazing business model to me. But it's also fascinating that these things are grown with the sole purpose of being cut down, used for about a month, and then thrown away. And so these, these farmers, they, they nurture and they care for these things. And I kind of did a little research, and it takes about seven years for a Fraser fir to get to about six to seven feet tall, which is most standard size of Christmas trees. Seven years of investing in this thing, and then some mojo comes along and cuts it down and sticks it in his living room, and then in, a, in about 30 days, throws it out by the curb. That's its whole purpose. The whole purpose of those farms, the whole purpose of that tree, the seven years of waiting, anticipating, delivered in a moment, and then discarded. We're picking up in our series uh, in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about this question. What is your purpose? Kind of a, a deep question for a holiday weekend where you're probably recovering from a turkey hangover a little bit. But truly, one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? Why am I alive and breathing at this moment, in this generation, in this city? What is my purpose? I'm asking this because I believe, and we're going to see it in the passage, that purpose is one of the most significant gifts that God can give to his people. To understand and believe that you serve a purpose, that your life is not a random collection of happenstance that has brought you to this moment, it is an intentional, intelligent design laid out for your life that gives you a purpose and a meaning that matters far beyond this moment. Jesus understood that for his life in his time on earth. In his complete humanity, while also his complete deity, he followed the purpose his father had laid out for him so closely that he never questioned where he was, why he was there, or what he was doing. Purpose is defined as this. As a noun, it is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. And purpose as a verb is have as one's intention or objective. So here's a big idea for us today. Your purpose is to produce. Your purpose is to produce. 
You were not created to just kind of exist and float through life. You were designed to produce. The phrase we're going to see in the passage is bear fruit. So you could say you are designed to produce produce. That was a joke. Some of you will get it in a minute here. But you need to produce. And to be able to produce, you need to be planted in a purpose. If your purpose is produced, then you need to be planted. And to be able to produce, you need to have roots when you are planted. Because it's not always going to be easy. Hard times are going to happen. You'll go through seasons. And you need to be planted. You need to be rooted in your purpose to produce. We're going to look at the example of Jesus and his purpose to produce salvation to a broken world. And we're going to see reasons why we can stay planted in our purpose. Let's read our passage for this morning, and then we're going to pull out some truths from it. We're going to start in verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So back up at the top of this passage, we can kind of set a little context. Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem. We just had the triumphal entry. And the whole city is getting ready for Passover, this Jewish holiday celebration. And there's people that are coming into town to celebrate. And among those people, there are some Greeks who have rejected the pagan religion of their own culture and are God-fearing Gentiles. Gentiles is a term for anybody who's not Jewish. And they would come and they would attend the Jewish synagogues and they were seeking truth in their life. And so they had heard stories of Jesus. Jesus' fame had spread all throughout the region. So they knew that there was this one who people were kind of wondering, claiming could be the Messiah. And so naturally they wanted to kind of figure it out for themselves. So they 
connect with one of his disciples and like, can I get a private interview? Can we chat with him for a bit? And so his disciples go to Jesus and, and tell him that this is happening. And what these Greek men didn't and couldn't realize is that in their desire to see Jesus, they were fulfilling part of Jesus's ministry here on earth. Look at verse 23. Jesus responds, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So Jesus fully in the will of God hears that Gentiles are seeking truth, seeking him. And it's almost as if like a secret password was given. He knew what was happening next. Okay, I knew, yep, that makes sense that that's happening. The hour has come. It doesn't ever say if he actually meets with these men or if he was talking to them at a later, later point in the passage. It's just the fact that they were seeking Jesus fulfilled part of Jesus's ministry. The fact that the word had spread to these Gentiles meant something. See, Jesus was sent to redeem Israel. There are several instances in, in scripture where Jesus interacts with people who are not Jewish by nature, and he says, I, I've come for the, for the lost sheep of Israel. And there's a story of a woman who begs, and, begs him for, for his favor, for his blessing, and, and she says, yeah, but even the, the dogs eat the scraps under the table. And he responds to her faith in that. So it's not as if Jesus is exclusively like, no one else can hear this. But his mission was focused, his purpose was focused on the Jewish people. But because of his ministry, it was spreading around. And he knew that was part of the plan. Isaiah 42, 6 prophesied that the Messiah, the Messiah would be a light to the nations, meaning outside of Israel, meaning the Gentiles. And really the fact that this salvation, that Jesus Christ, the Savior, was for people other than the Jews would be a hard thing for the early church to understand. It actually it took until Acts chapter 10 when God has to speak to Peter through a vision to kind of like make it super clear, like this is for the Gentiles. And even then, he still struggled with the idea. To say that people other than the Jews could have access to a personal relationship with God would not have been a very popular opinion. But Jesus wasn't worried about being popular. He was worried about fulfilling his purpose. So that's the first reason we can apply to our lives this morning. I can say planted because even when it's unpopular, my purpose brings fulfillment. My purpose brings fulfillment because there's nothing more fulfilling in your life than living out your purpose. Others' opinions of you, a social status, a huge platform, it all pales in comparison to living out your purpose. And your purpose also fulfills God's plan for your life. God was not interested in this Salvation, this gospel message being a Jews only thing. A people from the same region as Jesus type of thing. A people who said and did the right things type of thing. God was interested in making it a all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved thing. And I believe church, the message for us is that we should not be interested in this being a holy huddle Christian only thing. We should not be interested in this being an America-only thing, people who look like me thing. 
people who say the right things and do the right things thing. We should be interested in a go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptize them, teach them all that I have commanded you. That should be what interests us, what motivates us. That, even when it's unpopular, because it won't always be popular, both from the hearers and the community surrounding us. But our job is to not to keep this confined in a little indwelling of a holy huddle within our church. Our job is to take it to the entire world. That is fulfilling our purpose, because our purpose is to produce. Even when it's unpopular, my purpose brings fulfillment. And then I got to tell you something you may not want to hear, but we all need to hear it. This will be painful. Your purpose to produce yields pain. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. My oldest son loves to read. Uh, We read like every single night. And recently we picked up this book called The Little Acorn. Little Acorn. Uh, Fascinating book. I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, Acorn falls from a tree. Squirrel buries it in the ground. After a little bit, the acorn sprouts roots and then springs up from the ground, turns into this mighty tree who eventually, spoiler alert, grows an acorn. And the cycle continues. And I kept thinking about this book while I was reading this passage and kind of laughing because it's this very childlike perspective around something that Jesus says uh, isn't very playful or pleasant, but rather painful. Because really the acorn is dying and a tree is being born. This is a common theme all throughout scripture. You can't have the new thing until the old thing dies. And death is painful. It hurts to have a purpose that requires you to die for things in your life to be removed, to be reshaped into something that produces better than it did before. Warren Wiersbe has this quote, says this, God does not expect us to be comfortable, but he does expect us to be conformable. Conformable to what? Romans 12 tells us to do not conform to the pattern of this world. But Romans 8.29 says that we are all predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And earlier in Romans 8.13 it says, For if you live according to the flesh you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So I can stay planted because even when it hurts, my purpose brings healing. That's our second point. Even when it hurts, my purpose brings healing. God does not waste pain in our lives. Rather, when there is pain around our purpose, that is the pain of discipline. There is pain in life that comes from our own sin, our own desire to seek our own fulfillment, but when there is pain in our life that is centered around our purpose, it is the pain of discipline to make us more productive. Hebrews 12.11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It produces fruit. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. It's productive. Even when it hurts, my purpose brings healing. Even when it hurts to stop relying on that thing to bring me joy, my purpose brings healing when I realize that my joy is in Jesus Christ. Even when it hurts to discontinue that toxic relationship in my life, my purpose brings healing when I realize that I can go deeper now in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Even when it hurts that my desire wasn't fulfilled, I didn't get that thing that I thought I needed, my purpose brings healing when I see that God had something way better for me without it. I think we need to hear this today. Pain is not always a product of God's favor being removed from your life. Sometimes pain is the product of God's favor in your life. I want to say that again. Pain is not always the product of God's favor being removed from your life. Rather, sometimes pain is the product of God's favor in your life. He loves you enough to allow hurt in your life so you can experience true healing. If your purpose is to produce and you ain't producing, something's in the way and it's got to get out. And God's a really good surgeon, but he doesn't use anesthetic. So it's going to hurt. We're going to have to go through some things that hurt to get us on the other side where we know what healing truly is. And if you're like, yeah, I'm in that pain right now, don't run from that. That's part of your purpose. And my purpose brings healing not just in my own life, but it also brings healing in the lives of others. We like to call it a testimony or a God story. We're going to hear some of those in a couple weeks during our baptism service. We say every God story has three major parts. I was, but God, and now. The I was part, that's your purposeful pain. You wouldn't have got to the but God without the I was. And sometimes when you're telling that story, what's crazy is what always happens is that there's somebody who's listening who says, man, I can relate to that. That's my story. And I needed to hear the and now part because I'm in the I was. It's not I was, it's I am. And your story, your testimony, your pain starts to bring healing in their life because they can see that God is working even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it. There's pain involved, but there's healing on the other side. And it's going to cost you something. Verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I'm a sucker for a deal. Like, I can justify spending all the money if I feel like I'm somehow saving money. Like Menards will run like 11% off everything. 
It's like big yellow sign, looks amazing. I will go buy an obscure tool for a very specific job that I've never had to perform before just in case I ever have to do that job because I'm going to save money. Or Target will have the like buy five, get a $5 gift card. And uh, I didn't need one, but now I'm buying five. And uh, God bless my wife. The Lord has given me a very uh, smart, frugal wife. And she's like, Brent, why are we buying four pounds of cat litter? We don't have a cat. I'm like, it's a $5 gift card. I don't want to lose money on the deal. But we love deals because it's the promise of a return. It'll cost something, but the return is worth it. It supersedes the cost. The reality, like, there's not a lot of things in this world, if any, that actually make good on that promise. It seems like it'll be that way. It might feel good in the moment because we have the illusion that we're saving money or getting a deal or it's making a difference. We buy Christmas presents for the same reason. This person will love this so much and they'll use it so often that the money I spent on it won't even matter. Their reaction on Christmas morning, their use of it, it will all be worth it. Most of those things are forgotten, broken, donated, returned. So yeah, you saved 10 bucks on Black Friday, but you stood in line for 90 minutes and they don't even remember what you got them by Valentine's Day. But Jesus is going to make two promises that have exponential return on your investment. Hate your life in this world, get eternal life. Serve Jesus, God will honor you. Here's the point. Even when it costs me, my purpose brings blessing. Even when it costs me, my purpose brings blessing. God is in the business of those who sacrifice for his purpose. Time out. Hear me. What I am not saying is that it's a give to get thing. You don't put $10 in the offering bag and run hope and open your mailbox and hope there's a 20 in there. God's blessings are not a lottery ticket. They are not random and they are not reserved for the people who invest the most money. If you ever hear someone tell you that the more you give, the more you'll get, I want you to open your Bible, the first Timothy chapter six, verse five, and then hit them with it in the head. Don't do that. But you can read this. First Timothy six, five says, there is constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Godliness is not a means of gain. Rather, it says in the next verse that godliness with contentment is great gain. And then later, starting in in verse 9, it gives a stark warning. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. If we give to get something, our main motivation is merely just to receive something back from God, then we're missing the entire 
point. But there is another side of this coin. And it's that God loves to bless cheerful, sacrificial giving. I'm going to read this for you from Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So where's the line, Brent? Where's the line between giving to get and giving with a heart full of expectation that God wants to give back? I don't know where the line is for you. I can never know. I can only know where the line is for me. Because it's a heart issue. In your giving, only you can know why you're giving. And God. Jeremiah 17, 9-10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So your purpose should cost you something. And when it costs you something, and your purpose is enough, it will bring blessing. I think a great example is this Thanksgiving offering that we're going to take at the end of our service. It's going to cost us something. We already gave this morning, so it's on top of something that maybe you normally give. But our purpose is to produce and that our church, the, the mission of our church is to produce disciples. And listen, Sunday mornings are great. I, this is an amazing space. It's great that we have this. But we have a vision for a disciple-making factory in our city. That seven days a week, the doors would be open with the opportunity to produce disciples. Small groups meeting. Recovery groups meeting. Prayer groups meeting. Evangelists evangelism groups meeting and going out into our city, youth groups meeting, real discipleship opportunities happening all the time. And not just, not just like for the, the four walls and a roof to, so we can just stay in there, but rather so that it can be a training and equipping and producing, producing, producing and sending out so that you can go and equip and train and produce and it will cost us something to see this church in a permanent home someday. That we could see that vision come to life. But the blessing that comes from that cost is not found in the building. It is not found in one day sitting in a comfy seat in a plush building that, man, look at what we built. This thing's amazing. The blessing comes from the life change that will happen because we have consecrated a place that is the Lord's. Say, Lord, this is your house, these are your people. Fulfill your purpose among us, God. Even when it costs me, my purpose brings blessing. And I'm going to be real with you. All the things we've talked about, it's unpopular, it hurts, and it's going to cost. That means that there will be times, seasons, 
when you just don't feel like it. When you don't want to be planted in your purpose. Being completely honest, I felt more like that in my life in this past year than I ever have before. This is hard. I don't want to do this. I don't want the pain. I don't want all the collateral damage of this. So what do you do with that? What do you do with those emotions that are very real? Let's look to the example of Jesus in his life. Verse 27. Verse 27 says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus is at a crossroads in his life and ministry where he's aware that his death is imminent. And everything within his human nature is not okay with this. So it's almost as if he's having an internal dialogue with his divine nature and his human nature. My soul is troubled. I'm not feeling it. This is going to be hard. I don't really want to do this, but what, what can I say? Would I say, Father, save me from this hour? Father, give me a new purpose? This, this is why I'm here. For this hour, for this purpose I have come to this hour. No, rather, not Father, save me. Father, glorify your name. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm taking all other options off the table. Father, glorify your name. I'm so, I'm so bad at sticking to a diet. Um, Here's why. Here's the cycle I go through. There's a moment of decision that gives me a purpose and a passion for acquiring a body like Thor or, you know, something like that. And so that point of decision motivates me. In those first couple days, you feel really good. You feel awesome. Things are working. Maybe you drop a couple pounds really quick and and you're just feeling your body feels great. And then there always comes a, probably like a month then, maybe is, is like, the longest, but a month in, you're kind of like, why did I start this? What was the point? What was the purpose of this? Because I'm looking in the mirror and Thor's not looking back. Like, this isn't working. It's not worth it. And then you start to, you start to rationalize. You're like, well, I gotta have a cheat day every now and then. <laughs> like, no, I can't be perfect. And then you justify, you're like, two scoops of ice cream every night. It's not gonna kill me. I mean, it's, like, it's just ice cream. And then... Eventually, I find myself one night at 10.30 p.m. on my third cinnamon roll going, I should start a diet. (laughs) Googling healthy lifestyle plans. And really, what's what's happening is I'm not taking any of the other options off the table. The thing that inspires me most about like world-class athletes and these people who have done amazing things uh, with their bodies and, and with their diets is that that's just who they are. They don't eat this. They don't eat that way. They They go to the gym, they do this, they do that. That's just a part of who they are. There's no other option for them. It's like, it's not even in their vocabulary. Gluten is very much in my vocabulary. I'm very, uh, carbs are in my vocabulary. (laughs) 
I've lost all passion for what at a time felt like everything to me. It was my purpose. I didn't feel like it. I didn't see it working. So I lost my passion. I think there's significant moments in the life of a Christ follower where you come up against something hard. The honeymoon phase is over. Your emotions are no longer feeling your motivation. And you've got a decision to make. Either Father, save me from this hour, or Father, glorify your name. My prayer for us as a church is that no matter what you face, what you encounter, our response would be, Father, glorify your name. And one of the most encouraging things you can cling to is the voice of God saying in this verse, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I'm not going to waste your pain. I'm not going to waste your purpose. I will glorify my name again. In this season where our world finds itself today, I need to believe that God has glorified his name and that he will do it again. I need that. This stirs up passion within me. That makes me want to keep going, even when I don't feel like it. That God would glorify his name. Okay, Lord, showing up again. He will glorify his name through my purpose to produce. So even when I don't feel like it, my purpose brings passion. But one of the biggest killers of a passionate pursuit of your purpose are distractions. I love how Jesus handles distractions. Look at these last few verses, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? How can you say that the son of man must die? Who is the son of man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So often, Jesus is talking about something life-altering, and people pick out something that has nothing to do with the purpose, and they make it a problem. Wait, 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 wait. We heard from the law. There were some things that they wanted to figure out first. We heard from the law. Who's the son of man? And Jesus brings clarity to what they they should be really concerned about. (laughs) Uh, You have the light for a little bit longer. Believe in the light. Follow the light. Darkness is coming. My time on this earth is ending. None of that matters right now. What matters is your purpose to produce and my purpose to produce salvation in you. Hear me, don't make your purpose a puzzle. Don't make your purpose a puzzle to be solved. You don't have to have all the pieces in the right order to start living out your purpose. Here's the last point. Even when it doesn't make sense, my purpose brings clarity. 
Even when it doesn't make sense, my purpose brings clarity. You don't have to have everything figured out to start trusting Jesus today. Some things may not make sense. That's because faith is required in your life. If faith wasn't required, you wouldn't need a purpose. If you could do it all and see it all and you knew it all, then you wouldn't need God's purpose for your life. But when we choose to plan ourselves in purpose, faith starts to take root. And the clarity is found in our purpose to produce. Oh, that's why it was painful. And that's why I had to go through that. That's why I couldn't see it. Because God was doing something in me to bring me to this so that I could see this fruit. Your purpose is to produce, but you may not always see the final product. I've decided that 60% of being a dad and a husband is just putting things together. It's just like, it's over half of my job in that role. And I've realized how much of an impatient person I am based on my frustration towards instruction manuals. Because I feel like I have a decent sense of engineering how things should go together. And uh, so when it's broken up into 127 steps, I'm like, this is ludicrous. Because you start, you see the final picture. I mean, it's on the box. Like, this is what it should look like. And you kind of start to get a sense. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to roll. This always happens. All of a sudden, something doesn't fit right. And so you have to read two chapters back in the manual to find that on step 92, part 186-23 can't go on before part 185-32. And if it does, the thing doesn't work. And that was 13 steps ago from where you jumped ahead to. And so now you're taking this whole thing apart. And I'm just telling you, I am the most unchristian person when these things happen. Like I have to have like a rededication service after this. Jen baptizes me in the tub and like, I'm good. Just like, okay, (laughs) Christmas time is coming. I'm going to be putting all these things together. I just can just feel it. But I'm frustrated because I want to just see the final product. I want to, I, I got it. I don't need any help. Just, it should just go together the way I want it to. I should be able to just sense all the steps and just know. And I shouldn't have to think about it. I shouldn't have to wait. But if I just followed the steps, if I just stuck to the plan, if I'd stayed planted in the purpose of, man, this is, this is what it's going to look like at the end. I'm trusting. God's not asking you to have it all figured out. He's asking you to surrender your plans to his purpose for your life. His purpose is for you to produce. To produce, you need to stay planted. And to stay planted, you need roots. There's a sad truth about Christmas trees. That their purpose is kind of cut short. Because every every tree is designed to produce seeds so that it can reproduce That's kind of its ultimate mission. There's some other benefits that that they serve, you know, while they're planted. But at the end of the day, the the life cycle of a tree is that it would grow seeds and plant other trees. And most firs, which is like the most popular Christmas tree, don't grow any seeds until 15 years. And we, we kind of already said that most Christmas trees are cut down around 7 to 10 years. And you can't replant a Christmas tree 
Once it's cut off from its roots, like there's no going back. That's just, that's now its purpose is to stand up in someone's living room and be all pretty and live a pretty comfortable life and then move on. And what I'm worried about in our, our day and age is that there are many Christians, myself included, who have a tendency to kind of want to live their life like a Christmas tree. That we kind of cut ourselves off from the roots of being planted in our purpose and, and stash ourselves up in a really comfortable life where we look good and things kind of go well for us. It's, it's warm, it's nice. There's not a lot of you know, trials we have to face because we're protected from them and we don't put ourselves out there. And we ne- but we never produce. We just kind of live our life and then we pass on with the hope of eternal glory because we've, we've accepted Christ in our life. But if you think about it, like Jesus did the exact opposite of that. Like Jesus could have come like Superman <laughs> and kind of just been this awesome figure in the world and lived in you know, an isolated place and came and, and done business and saved people and then moved on. But instead he humbled himself, he he came as a baby, as a human, and he, he lived among his people, came up from nothing, got around some people that nobody else would have picked in society, and, and poured his life into them. And then at the end of the day, like, it, it could have been any other way. It could have been any other type of sacrifice. God could have done it differently, but instead he chose to show the ultimate form of love, of love that Jesus would lay down his life, that he would die so that there would be much fruit. The fact that you're sitting here in this room today is because Jesus bore fruit in his life. Because his disciples took that seed and they carried it and they bore fruit and so on and so forth. Leading to this moment today where I believe that Jesus is calling us to not cut off the roots but to stay planted in our purpose to produce. So really quickly, as we close, four ways you can grow your roots. Four ways to grow your roots. Number one, embrace the pain. Don't run from it. Don't try to squirm out from underneath it. Realize that God has a purpose in it and allow it to grow your faith deeper. Embrace the pain. Number two, know his voice. If God spoke to you, would you recognize it? Would you be able to distinguish it between the noise of the world and the voice of your Lord? And really the only way to learn someone's voice is by spending time listening to it. Know his voice. Number three, trust his plan. Don't turn your purpose into a puzzle. Trust that God is working in your life and bringing his purpose in you to completion. Trust his plan. And number four, stay the course. Not sure what's next? Go back to the last thing that you heard God tell you to do. And keep doing that until he says something different. Don't be quick to jump out of where he's trying to grow your roots for the allure of better soil somewhere else. Embrace the pain, know his voice, trust his plan, 
stay the course. Grow your roots. This is why we can stay planted in our purpose, because of the example of Jesus Christ following his purpose to the point of death, a death in our place so that we might know our purpose, which is rooted in God, to produce fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to invest ourselves in a time where we can read this passage, Lord, that we can mine truth out of to apply to our lives. God, I pray that it would change us in a way that is powerful. I pray it would change us in a way that we would walk out of here and, and, and think a little differently than we did when we came in. God, that your Holy Spirit would, would bring these things to mind again and again throughout this week and find ways tangibly for us to invest it in our lives. God, thank you for just the, the purposeful plan that you set forth to bring Jesus to earth and to bring us to this moment here today where we can see the fruit of his sacrifice, his investment in his disciples, his purpose to bring salvation to not just the Jewish people, but to the whole world so that we might know what it's like to be in the family of God. And God, I pray that would inspire us and motivate us to stay rooted, to stay planted in our purpose so that we would see fruit in our lives, both in the, the things that are cultivated in our own life and in the way we're pouring out and investing in other people. God, I pray for opportunities to bring people into our life and, and walk alongside them in a discipleship relationship that we would see fruit in their life and we would know that our life was different than the rest of the world, where it wasn't all about us and what we could gain and what we could grab onto, but rather what we could give to other people and the blessing that comes, Lord, the blessing that comes when we invest ourselves and root ourselves in our purpose is second to none. So God, thank you for changing us. Thank you for making us different. Thank you for setting us on a path that we wouldn't have chose for ourselves, but you chose because of its purpose to bring us to a point where we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We can be more like him. So God, change us from the inside out again today. Make us new, we pray, and we dedicate it to you, Lord. Amen.